Hey, welcome to Anarchy to Diapers. Today's episode is with Brian Thompson, writer, director of the comedy horror Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned. Brian's a good friend of mine. I've been friends with him for almost like 20 years. He actually married one of my oldest friends, Tara. And when that happened, I actually gained a friend. It's an awesome thing. Doesn't happen too often in life that your friend marries someone and you actually get a new friend. But in this case, it did. Um, we sit down, we talk about his movie, Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned, and we never really get to family. It happens. Um, we also had a lot of technical issues, but it all works out. Brian Thompson, writer, director of the comedy horror, Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned. Anarchy to diapers, bitches! Bachelor party in the bungalow of the dam. Oh yeah. Let's just start off with uh, your favorite review because I think that would give people a good idea of like how serious you took this film. Gotcha. Like yeah. Or well, where, where <laughs> its status is in your mind. Yeah, well, definitely the uh, probably the best review we got was uh, the one that popped up on on Amazon in the uh, the UK actually. And somebody bought the movie and it was a it was a five star review, and so we were very uh, very excited about that. Took a look actually, uh, and the review in its entirety was uh, uh, this is a great movie to. Uh, God, what did he say? This is a great movie to spend a uh, a terrible, ugly, rainy day with because it's it's so uh, so bad. Um, God, I'm, I'm trying. To... The perfect movie for a crappy rainy Sunday or something like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When you don't want to watch anything decent. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much. Uh, yeah, our our five star review. Right. Uh, and so that that was definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was as good as it got. I th- I just think it's funny when like like um I don't know if either people a missed the mark that actually watched this and thought they were getting a serious movie, <laughs> you know, or b like do you think you either missed the mark because of it's like a, a generational gap? Like uh, one of the other reviews I read was like um said like at the end like I think little uh homophobia you know in this and i'm like well in my head i'm like it's the typical like fucking horror movie like douchebags that you hope bad shit happens to yeah well you know i i gotta own the movie you know and uh i'll tell you actually i showed it to a good friend of mine who also kind of had questions that basically said you know this strikes me as a little bit homophobic uh I don't know. I'm I'm kind of surprised at you uh, that you would have done this. Uh, I don't know. I I gotta say I never saw it that way. I mean, what my entire point was. Yeah. Okay. So we have this. Uh, uh the main villain there is is uh you know bisexual and he is you know interested in uh well whatever. I guess I mean, we gotta recap the story slightly, right? So there's a uh, yeah basically a guy is getting married. His best friend Sammy is throwing a uh, 
He's, you know, basically throwing the bachelor party out in the Hamptons. Uh, supposed to go uh, golfing, but uh, the house is owned by uh, the uncle of this guy, Gordon. Right? God, this is this is tougher than I thought because, like, this has been a while. <laughs> I'm like skipping on on names of the characters and everything else. It's all right because uh, uh, when people rush out to get this movie, you don't want to <laughs> fill in all the blanks for them. Oh yeah, all right. well, definitely. <laughs> So yeah, no, but the the whole thing was yeah. On the one hand, I had this very open sort of uh, yeah homoerotic story between the uh, the villain and uh, the bachelor. Um, and then on the other hand, what I really you know what I thought was kind of funny was that you know it, it was clear to me that the the main character was actually you know sort of homoerotic in a very repressed way. Also with the Bachelor, and so to me that that kind of was was sort of balancing things out. I, I thought that the way that it played out was that you know people who were sort of enunciating the most homophobic sentiments really got screwed up by the end. And so I don't know. I, I definitely it did certainly was not my intention to create something that was homophobic. Quite the opposite, actually. Yeah, did I miss the mark? Clearly, for some people, I did. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can't please anybody. I'll try harder the next time. <laughs> okay, so what was your inspiration for this movie? Are you like a real like horror guy yourself? I am absolutely not a horror person. or uh, I certainly wasn't before I made this movie. I'll say basically, uh, you know, I, I have always wanted to become a filmmaker. Always. Um... Of course, the the big problem there was that uh, you know I wasn't going to film school, uh, couldn't do it. Yeah, NYU film school at the time just cost so much money, and at the time, yeah, it, when I was growing up, it wasn't like a realistic thing. Like you, you couldn't just become like a uh, a filmmaker because you know we didn't have the digital cameras, we didn't have anything like that. The result was that you know the tools were out of reach. the The amount of money that you would have had to have spent in order to do it was too much. So yeah, so I I ended up instead of you know doing uh, you know, going to film school, which would have been basically the only route into the filmmaking community. I I went ahead. I studied English literature at NYU, did my MA. Then I went ahead. Ended up actually eventually doing the PhD uh, in Ireland, also on uh, English literature. Although by that time I had kind of been gravitating more toward. Uh, and more toward film studies, uh, cinema studies, and I was particularly interested in genre. So, in the meantime, you know, between starting off doing college and finishing the PhD, of course, the the uh, the digital filmmaking revolution sort of hit, you know, and uh, all of a sudden it became possible to maybe do something. Uh, but I knew that I didn't have much time. I knew that I didn't have much experience. Uh, I was not the kind of uh, person that somebody was going to give a ton of money to. Uh, in order to make a movie. So what did I do? I, I took a look at the market and, uh, you know, uh, realized that probably the the most forgiving audience and the audience that would almost ensure the ability to get the film out was the audience for, uh, for low-budget horror. And so I, you know, as somebody who'd done a lot of uh, genre studies, yeah, as part of doing my, uh, my degree and whatever, 
Yeah, I basically, I took that understanding of genre and I, I really tried to study horror and uh, break down tons of movies and go through things. You know, I remember watching The Evil Dead and just doing a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of like, you know, when when does the scare happen? When does, you know, the, the bad guy happen. get revealed? When does something funny happen? When is the comic relief timed? Uh, everything like that. And just doing, you know, kind of a lot of work trying to figure out how how the genre actually worked and uh then i did my best to you know do something that was uh, a bit more of a mashup a bit funnier you know um yeah i'm not like a last house on the left kind of person you know I, that that's not really really my thing i i would say the the most important movie for me uh personally was probably Shaun of the dead watching Shaun of the dead and seeing just how how well it was possible to sort of meld comedy and horror. Uh, I thought it was a great movie. And yeah, and so that's that's kind of how I ended up uh, doing this. I would say, you know, I wish that I had taken a little bit more time with the script, for sure. Uh, but it came together very, very quickly. Uh, this was after I'd finished my PhD. And I really, I, I can't stress how uninterested I was in, in teaching English uh, following the completion of my PhD. Uh, I really just, uh, it was not something that I wanted to do. And so I, I wanted to get the ball rolling on a, on a film as quickly as possible. And so that's, uh, that's more or less kind of the, <laughs> the inspiration. I mean, it's, uh, it's a little mercenary, definitely. It's not, you know, I don't know, this, this wasn't the project that I was dreaming of for my entire life, but it was the project that I could actually make happen. And so it was very important uh, to me in that respect. No, I understand. So you just like I gotta create something today. So Pretty much, yeah. Gonna start doing it. I mean, the, uh, seriously, the only way to learn filmmaking is to start making films. That's it. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, trust me, I completely <laughs> understand. I got this kick-ass podcast, and all I'm doing is just sitting in front of a mic and figuring it out. So, you know, I bomb more than I actually succeed, but. That's well, it's not, you know, not only that. Uh, how'd you learn how to tattoo, man? Oh, <laughs> I started tattooing myself. I grabbed a kid and fucking, you're going to do what you got to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So now this is round two. I, sure. I don't know. I mean, I, it's... Uh, <laughs> is it a little bit easier with film because the uh, the stakes aren't so high as something permanent where it's like, if you don't like it, you can just delete it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, on the one hand, yeah, definitely. On the other hand, the problem with film is that, and you know, anybody who talks about, uh, I don't know, it's, if there's one thing that drives me crazy, it's people that talk about uh, the quote-unquote auteur theory, the idea that you know, there's like a filmmaker and the film is his thing or her thing. This drives me absolutely crazy because I mean, anybody who has actually worked in film knows that it is the most collaborative sort of. Uh, uh, art imaginable and to me this is kind of one of the the problems actually is because uh, you know, what are the things that you can do by yourself you can you can write a movie by yourself you can possibly do like a breakdown budget schedule whatever uh, by yourself after that <laughs> if you're gonna move forward you need to involve a hell of a lot of people whether that's you know the actors but also of course the people who are working behind the scenes to make a film happen. Um, and it's sort of that... What I found when I was making Bachelor Party was just that uh, 
you need to be flexible. Right? Like you need to be able to push your schedule around in order to uh, uh, to basically be able to meet the needs of everybody else who is uh, going to be working with you. And that is the kind of thing that becomes really difficult once you have sort of a firm and massive commitment like you have when you have children. Um, so yeah, so that's definitely a definitely a case. better. The no wireless mice. We're all good. <laughs> Here we are. Back again. All right. Technical yeah. difficulty. All right. So, all right. I'm going to... I guess I'll just start over there from uh, from what we were just talking about. Uh, so, I was talking about the soundtrack. Um, when I did the Bachelor Party soundtrack, the one thing that I knew uh, I definitely wanted was something that sounded a little bit better than the average no-budget horror movie. Uh, and so I really wanted to go with an orchestral score. But uh, at the time, it wasn't really possible to get any kind of royalty-free music or anything like that uh, that sounded like anything you would want to put on your movie. And so I, I ended up actually doing all of the soundtrack work myself and that was kind of funny because I had no musical background. I had basically I had been the uh, bassist for a punk band called the uh, the Snot Cowboys uh, for a brief period. A brief period that uh, almost everybody I know is very happy when that period was over. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but uh, so that was my one one piece of musical knowledge. And then I had also I had taken a, an art of listening class uh, in college where I had had to learn you know musical notation chords. And stuff like that. And so uh, even though I couldn't play the piano properly, you, know, it, it, you wouldn't want me to play the piano at a party or something like that. What I could do was like hit the single note, you know, uh, and tap out the melody and then do, you know, all sorts of cutting and pasting in order to get the uh, chords set up. I knew where the chords were supposed to be. The end result was that... Uh, after a couple of months, I had managed to produce about 43 minutes, I think, about 43 minutes of music. Um, and it was the orchestral score that I was looking for. And so I got to say, I, you know, although there are a lot of things that disappoint me about the movie, Bachelor Party and the Bungalow of the Damned, uh, including the movie, the movie is kind of disappointing. Um, the uh, the soundtrack is not. I, I was really quite proud of the soundtrack. Uh, that was kind of the... The thing that made me happiest, uh, I would say, about the uh, the movie, and that's both the music and, as well as sort of the sound effects and stuff like that, which I was also doing the the recording on. So yeah, I, uh, you know, I I've always loved music. I, obviously, you know, I think I'd prefer to be a rock star uh, than uh, <laughs> well, certainly than a communications professor, and uh, probably more than a filmmaker as well. But uh, you can't have everything. And I'm really, really quite terrible at uh, performing anything. So that's how I roll. 
after you did some work with Phil, uh, on the soundtrack, then you moved on to Fellow Traveler. Was like the next step. Well, it was kind of like, you know the uh, you were heading towards the rock star thing. <laughs> <laughs> you were seeking your fame and glory. Well, I mean, I, the one thing that I knew about the uh, the soundtrack was that I wanted you know the orchestral score for the most part uh, for the film, but. Uh, there were also a couple of moments in the movie that definitely I wanted to have something a, a little bit harder. Um, and so, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, I'd, I've always loved is, is kind of, you know, industrial music, aggressive music. Uh, and so uh, I, I was able to do a little bit of that uh, at the uh, the end. Um, and that actually did kind of become a springboard for a little side project, but not... Uh, not one, once again, that really ended up amounting to anything because I moved to Rome. One of the times that I was doing something that was kind of meaningful to me was when I was uh, covering the uh, the Iraq veterans against the war protests at the Obama-McCain uh, debates in Hofstra in 2008. And uh, I, I was there uh, as a uh, sort of as a civil liberties monitor um, and so I was, I was there, I was videotaping the event, and that was, uh, you know, that's an example of sort of, you know, video work that, you know, it is important to me, and, uh, and whatever, it's, it's not, you know, what people necessarily think of when they think of video work, but, um, but yeah, so I, I ended up in the, the, the front lines there, and, uh, God, this was actually an event at which, uh, one of the Iraq veterans, a guy by the name of, uh, Nick Morgan, he got uh, he got trampled by the uh, one of the police horses actually, yeah, yeah by the mounted uh, the mounted cops, and uh, <clears throat> there's a problem uh, for me as the video guy because I was yeah ten ten feet away from this uh, this guy, um, and I should have had the entire thing on video okay easily. I didn't though because one of the cops uh, on a horse came directly up to me and basically had his horse eat my camera. Was, uh, the horse just ate the end of my camera. I was uh, destroyed my camera. Completely done. <laughs> no Finished. way. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And, and, you know, this was at a time when, like, uh, you, know, you weren't, you, this was before DSLRs and, like, cheap cameras and everything else. This was, like, my camera. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was it. Done. Mr. Fucking Ed ate your fucking camera. There you go. Yeah. This is also why earlier in the interview, I I asked you about like the homophobic this stuff that mm-hmm. uh, people mentioned in reviews because I know your wife was the president of the Civil Liberties Union and yep. you did work for them. Yep. So I just kind of wanted to like lay that out there and like put that out there that like. No, you're not like anti-gay or anything like that. Like, if <laughs> no. anything, you're like a, a, someone who fights for human rights. Definitely. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's absolutely. I, I before one of the things that I said was uh, one thing that I always sort of missed is uh, not having a writing partner. And I think that that's a. Uh, yeah, the the whole uh, the homophobia thing for sure. I think is something that probably would have gotten hammered out if I had been bouncing the script off somebody else. Because yeah, I mean you know I've got peculiar sensibilities and whatever else, uh, and it doesn't always necessarily translate. In fact, I will never forget 
that after after uh, after finishing the uh, the film, I sent out the DVD screeners to uh, all the actors, and uh, one of them watched the film and uh, sent me an email. An email said, um, "I love the movie. I didn't know that it was a comedy." This is one of the actors, the main actors in the the movie. Did not know. He thought this shit was a serious, legit, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least <laughs> you got good acting from him. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably like one of your saving graces yeah, that yeah, like well, he didn't know it was a comedy because then he would have actually acted as a comedy. <laughs> Well, this is also, you know, it's it, it kind of horror. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it tells me that, you know, uh, I, I was perhaps uh, not not the greatest director in the world either. I mean, if uh, if somebody was unclear uh, as to whether or not Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned was supposed to be a comedy, Slash uh, horror. then maybe I should have done a better job explaining it to them. Um, and but, the truth is, I mean, uh, let me be, let me be flat out. I, I don't, I don't like directing. <laughs> I mean, like, directing is not my thing. If I had my choice, I would be writing or I would be in the edit suite. I mean, that's that's what I love. Uh, I direct. I get involved with uh, shooting and whatever because uh, because I have to uh, basically not necessarily because that is the part of the filmmaking process that uh, you know is, is something that I love. I I forget who it was. I, I think it might have been Hitchcock who uh, who basically said, "Yeah, yeah." The the problem. Oh, maybe it was Walter Murch who said, "Yeah, the the only reason to to shoot a movie is to have something to edit." Yeah, that, that's it um, because editing is where everything comes together and frankly like that is the part of the filmmaking process that I like the most but with that being said how many actual parts did you have with this film me like how many jobs was I doing yeah well I was the writer I was the producer I was the director I was also sort of the yeah, if if you ever watch the end of a a movie, you know, there are like ten thousand people uh, that are are always listed at the end of the film, and I, I basically know what they all do. So uh, in addition to that, I was I was the line producer in the sense that I was involved with actually uh, assembling all of the the stuff that needed to be there in order to make the film and. Uh, coordinating everything, I was the effectively the assistant director when I was on set. Who was the person who's uh, in charge of making sure that everything runs on time, which is uh, a bit of a challenge. <laughs> but then after you know after uh, the filming was over, it basically then yeah I, I was doing all of the editing, all of the the sound work, um, all of the sound design. I was doing all of the visual effects. Doing all the titles, motion graphics, in addition to authoring the DVD, doing the engineering for the post sound and commentary tracks and everything like that. And uh, yeah, then uh, putting my producer hat back on in order to sell the thing to a distributor. So I mean, I, I got about 15 a... fucking things <laughs> out there. It's a lot, but I, you know, 
even so, I would never say that I'm like the the author of this uh, this film. It's just not true. It's a massive collaboration. Oh no, hundred percent. I, mean, like, I was working with like twenty five people, I think, at the at the height of the production when there were sort of the most people on set. It was about yeah, it was about uh, I think it was about twelve twelve cast members and and twelve crew members all working together. On the, I was running that entire show, which is a challenge, man, definitely. Well, the reason I mention that, because any, like, faults that are in the movie, like, when people hear how many hats you were wearing, mm. like, give, give a homie a break. <laughs> like, he can only do so much. Oh, yeah. So, shit didn't fucking pan out. Like, hey, man, you, you know, you did a lot. Well, to me, you know, like I said, it, the whole thing was a learning experience, yeah. first and foremost. What was, like, the, some of the hardest things that you had to deal with with the film? The film, some of the hardest things to deal with. So I'd say the first, uh, the first big problem that I had was actually casting. And that was a big problem because I had been living in Dublin, in Ireland, for about uh, five years before. And then my wife and I, uh, we moved back to New York. I started work on the film. But I didn't really know or appreciate uh, sort of how the internet had been developing during that time. Uh, and so I had no idea about something called Craigslist, right? So, uh, <laughs> so all right. So I, here I am. I got this script. I'm, uh, you know, I'm ready to start casting the movie. And uh, I do, you know, what everybody had done at NYU when they were casting their films and stuff. I put an ad in the Village Voice. I put an ad in... Uh, uh, backstage, um, looking for people to come down for the film. Day one, I think I had maybe three people show up. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty awful. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Um, what's, uh, what's the story here? And so, uh, so yeah. And so finally, yeah, one of the, one of the people that was helping me out with the uh, uh, the casting was like, uh, "Did you post this on Craigslist?" I was like, "What? What the fuck are you talking about?" Who's I'm Craig? Like, Who's Craig? Yeah, <laughs> what's his list of which you speak? Uh, exactly. And so, uh, so yeah. So basically, you know, um, then I put the thing up on Craigslist, and all of a sudden, yeah, I got a lot more people coming in. So that that was great. But I mean, it was. Uh, it was just shocking because, like, if there's one thing that this entire film was uh, really good at driving home was, you know, teaching me all of the things that I didn't know, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, yeah, so then there were all sorts of, like, challenges. I mean, the uh, the girl that I liked who came in uh, that I thought would do great as the fiancé, uh, she was black. And so I ended up with uh, an interracial couple, actually, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, wasn't something I was necessarily planning, but I really for your time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but then that created challenges too, because uh, basically we had a, a bunch of scenes that had to be shot outdoors at night, but we didn't have the budget really for the kind of uh, the kind of big lights that were uh, you know that, that really would have. Uh, uh, made that easy um, and we didn't have a generator anyway like there was no electricity at the location uh, that we were going to have to shoot this stuff at and so we ended up having to shoot everything day for night which is okay uh, no it's not it looks like shit it always looks like shit it looked like shit in Point Break if you remember the night surfing scenes right 
Yeah, with Keanu Reeves and that makes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I finally now understand why I didn't really buy into that whole scene. Yeah, that's that's the reason. Yeah, day yeah. day for night always looks like shit. Um, but we had to do it uh, for a bunch of scenes in the movie, and uh, that actually created kind of a problem. My director of photography was very, very good, very talented guy, uh, but I kind of made him do this with his hands tied behind his back, you know, because I couldn't give him a lighting. Uh, or you know, a real lighting kit. You know, this. You know, you got to remember this was not you know, twenty or thirty years ago. This was you know about ten years ago, and there were no battery operated lights. You, you know, there were no LED lights or anything else. You needed major power in order to uh, to get your lights up and running. So we didn't have that. Um, Which is fucking crazy that it's only like eight, ten years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no man. I, the whole the technology of filmmaking has changed. It, it almost sounds like you're full of shit. Like if a young kid listens to this podcast, he's like, "What are you talking about? LEDs, son? Like you know what I mean?" <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like when we talk to older people and they're like, 20 years ago, but here we are, like, yo, five years ago." <laughs> like goddamn technology is taking off. <laughs> So yeah, so no, so we had to do this whole thing, and uh, what made it really difficult actually was without having any lights, uh, trying to actually balance and sort of get nice exposure on both, you know, the, a white person and a black person in the same thing it was actually very challenging. It was very difficult, and frankly, when I watched the you know the last time I looked at the film, I was just, I was not satisfied with it in the slightest. But uh, you know, so that was that was another thing that I that I learned. So on the one hand, hooray for a, I don't know an interracial romance in the film. Uh, but yeah, it actually did kind of create technical problems at times. Then you know, there's the whole uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, it's, a film set definitely becomes like a summer camp at times and. Uh, So yeah, so uh, you know, uh, become summer camp. Yeah, become summer camp, and uh, and that can you know, hanky panky can kind of get out of hand and uh, create all sorts of problems. Um, not necessarily for me. Uh, I certainly uh, had had no hanky panky problems because I was working literally twenty three hours a day. If I was getting one hour of sleep, uh, that was a good day. But basically, at the end of every day, we would shoot for probably I don't know fifteen or sixteen hours uh, a day. Sometimes as many as twenty. Um, my DP <laughs> man, he would come in uh, every day with his uh, twelve on, twelve off uh, director of photography. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, so he would always come in with his shirt that said, you know, 12 on, 12 off, which is the union minimum. You know, if you work 12 hours, you have to be guaranteed at least 12 hours off before you start shooting again. And I was never able to, to, to offer Provide that. him that. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, so I mean, and then at the end of the day, you know, you got to watch your dailies to make sure that you got everything, uh, that you, uh, you were trying to get for the day. And then... You know, uh, you basically got a plan for the next day. And one of the tough things was that, you know, uh, the writing was on the wall that uh, the script had to be 
condensed. And so I was basically, I was rewriting, I was cutting, I was doing uh, work on the script. Yeah, at, at the end of the day. Um, and then, of course, because I had changed the script, I had to create new shot lists. I had to do new storyboards. I had to do all of this other stuff uh, before the next day's uh, shoot was could go ahead. And so, yeah, so I, a lot of times I, I was basically... I was getting like an hour or two of sleep, you know, before uh, moving on to the next day. So, like, physically it was pretty draining. Um, we had one week where we shot six days in a row. Um, this was kind of the, the heavy week where I had, uh, you know, basically 25 people on set. Um, I lost 17 pounds, actually, in six days from uh, <laughs> pacing, <laughs> from stress, <laughs> from uh, from all... Oh, man, it uh, was a crazy time. Sounds like you need to make another film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why haven't I been so eager to do it? I don't know. Man, much easier to have some kids, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've, I've gained more than 17 pounds since I had a kid, so... Maybe I should make another film. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, that, there was another challenge, which is, uh, you know, when I was putting the budget together, you know, I budgeted, I think, like $5, $5 a day per person for food, thinking, you know, get mostly the BJ stuff and whatever. And, uh, yeah, just stick that in the oven and... Forget it. Yeah, it's going to be a piece of cake, and we're going to get away with five bucks a day. Nope. Um, I learned a couple of things. <laughs> First of all, uh, when you are hiring your cast and crew, you should always find out if people are vegetarian or vegan, because then all of a sudden you can't have anything with cheese or you know, <laughs> make sure your people don't have peanut allergies, weed allergies, whatever. Uh because as soon as you have special dietary requirements, any the budget's fucking to, blown out. <laughs> it's it's over. And then you think you're maybe going to be able to get away with like uh, you know with giving people pizza, you know, and and doing sort of cheap lunches or whatever. But the problem with pizza, you know, anybody who has eaten pizza before knows that you feel bloated after you eat pizza. Actors don't want to feel bloated. <laughs> they don't want to feel bloated. They certainly don't want to look bloated on film. But, I mean, it's the same thing with breakfast, you know? I mean, yeah. like, uh, yeah, you think you're going to be able to get away with bagels, which are a nice, cheap option? Nope. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because, you know, people make, you know, actors in particular make a living off their appearance. So they actually take care of themselves. And mm. So you got to eat healthy. So, yeah, so the, the food budget blew up in my face. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I ended up doing almost all of post-production by myself because, you know, the production ran out of money by the end of, uh, by the end of principal photography. I, after we were done shooting the movie, like, there was nothing left. Uh, fucking bad. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and so, uh, so yeah, so that, that, that was a big challenge, actually, and one that I was not expecting uh in the slightest uh for sure so yeah and then there's yeah problems with people dropping out at the last minute and trying to find replacements uh i think if i hadn't heard of craigslist by then uh i would have been in some deep shit but uh happily i had so i was able to get a replacement at the very very last minute um 
Yeah, but I don't know. It's all stress. Uh, being on set is, you know, it's the most stressful thing that I, I think that I have ever done. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who cries very often. Uh, but I remember at the end of that uh, six-day week, uh, just driving in my car, <laughs> just crying for no reason because <laughs> it was just like it was over and it I was relieved and it was like I remember I was listening to a Damien Dempsey song Spray Paint Back Alley and uh, the you know the lyrics are basically this guy is like a former boxer and he's uh, it's about you know being a boxer who loses and just gets up again and uh, it was kind of how I was feeling and I listened to the song I just started bawling as I'm as I'm driving down the LIE, uh, and uh, it was just it was such a whoa, it was the weight going off the shoulders, you know. But um, did you you're upset because you can't do this again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I totally understand. One thing that I had to get uh, used to though was you know people being critical uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, it did. I, I'll, uh, I guess I, I was, I was probably about maybe 70% through the post-production process when I actually ended up, uh, showing it to a, a friend from Dublin who would come and, uh, yeah, uh, hadn't had anything to do with the project, didn't know anything about it, whatever. So he was, you know, perfectly fresh pair of eyes. Uh, I watched it. He watched it, and uh, I said to him, "Yeah, so what do you think?" He's like, "Didn't like it." That's rough. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I, there was no. Uh, he didn't really have too many comments as to why he didn't like it, which uh, made it even more difficult. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he basically was of the opinion that it should be uh, a bit crazier and zanier than it was and uh you know i did end up uh kind of doing a lot more sound work actually after that which i think uh certainly helped it out a bit but uh but i gotta agree with him i you know i ultimately that that would be you know a critique of mine uh as well you know i'm not you know totally satisfied with the tone um i really wish that i had spent more time on the script but you know, at the time, uh, I was just trying to get something moving, you know, and uh, whatever. I, I, you know, I was always aware of the fact that it wasn't going to be a masterpiece. I, I knew that I was not, you know, Orson Welles going out to make his first movie and coming out with Citizen Kane. Uh, I, <laughs> I knew that I was, you know... <laughs> Uh, the expectations weren't so high. My expectations were You were just shooting low. for something uh, that you could actually produce i i wanted to make a film that could get distributed basically and in that how did distribution being distributed (laughs) 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 distribute but i don't even know what i just tried to say Uh, with getting it distributed how did what was the benefits and negatives of that um the benefit was that i had a distributor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I can say. Yeah, uh, I sold my movie. Uh, that's it, and that is technically your success. 
Technically, it is a success. Uh, it meant that the movie got listed on the IMDb. It meant that everybody involved got IMDb pages, which you know I think is a, a substantial thing. Right? That that was for someone who's trying to be an actor. Definitely, that they have credit now. Exactly, exactly, and so that you know that that was a major part of what I wanted to accomplish with uh, by making the movie. Um. That's it for positives of getting a distributor. <laughs> Man, uh, you know, I mean, the movie has been, it sold a bunch of copies when uh, when it was released on DVD. Uh, you know, did all right. Um, they managed to get VOD deals. It's been, I think it was actually on... Uh, my good friend, my best man at my wedding, actually watched it on uh, Time Warner Cable in New York. Actually, when it was available on a lot of VOD platforms, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I literally I think uh, the returns were maybe one thousand five hundred. I think about one thousand five hundred over. 10 years <laughs> yeah. just rolling and, uh, in the ducket son oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's it man like left, Scrooge McDuck or some shit you know? <laughs> uh, yeah no yeah it, almost no money came back um, it was more or less enough to pay off uh, the credit card actually that kind of saw me through the very end of post production one of the things that was nice was that uh yeah, I say like we blew through the budget on uh, during principal photography, and that's true. Uh, but at least that was a budget that you know I had raised beforehand, and so that money was there. Uh, I just uh, I ended up needing some money for uh, sound effects and you know getting copies of the DVD screeners made and stuff like that. So I mean, I, you know. There was a little bit of money that had to be uh, uh, <laughs> that I didn't have, and so I, I did end up using a little bit of the credit card at the end. Um, and happily, the the sales were able to cover that. But like you know, I I have not seen a dime from the movie. Nobody who is involved with the film has seen a dime from the movie. None of the investors will ever get their money back, as far as I can tell. Uh, at least not if things. Uh, continue in the same way that they are uh, at the moment so yeah a little bit disappointing um the distributor was a uh, singularly uh i would say unhelpful in terms of actually uh promoting the movie um working with me there was uh, zero outreach um and uh, a reluctance to field my calls so uh, i don't know hence your first interview Everyone was the film made <laughs> quite some time ago. Yeah. My second interview, but the first one oh, was uh, oh, via sh- via email. Actually, okay. I was a, I forget where it was. I think it was in Arrow in the Head or something. Okay. Some some website like that. I don't know some horror movie website. All right, and and they were like, eh, this guy made a shitty movie, but like, eh, he's got a lot to say about the filmmaking process. I was like, all right, <laughs> go on. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, but ultimately, you know, at the time, the options weren't there for VOD. You couldn't do a self-release. Uh, YouTube wasn't, uh, I guess it existed, uh, 
But certainly, um, if it did, it, it, it was it like was you know, ten minute videos, and uh, that's it. And it was uh, like guys getting kicked in the dick and shit. It wasn't like a floor mat for like success. <laughs> no, it certainly wasn't. Uh, it was certainly not a way to make money either. Um, I would say that now, uh, nowadays, if I was releasing the film. Uh, a, you know, because of the technological changes, if I was making the film now, uh, it would look a lot better. I think it would sound a lot better. I think, uh, you know, obviously, I would hopefully take a little bit more time with the script. Maybe run it by a couple people so that I won't, you know, be accused Question of being homophobic. Homophobic. <laughs> <homophobic. laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, totally. I, yeah. But yeah, I mean, now the options are there to, uh, to actually, you know, yeah, you're not going to get rich off, you know, a movie like this that you make, but you might, you know, conceivably uh, keep yourself alive long enough to make the next one. Yeah. Which is more or less all I'm asking for. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> Beautiful. I think we should just wrap it up right there. Sounds good. Thank you. You can find Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned on Amazon Prime. All music was done by Moon Jam Troopers. Thank you all. If you're right into Anarchy 2 Diapers, that's Anarchy the number 2 Diapers at gmail.com, I'll send you a DVD of Bachelor Party in the Bungalow of the Damned. I only got one, so you better write in. Otherwise you ain't getting it, bitch. <laughs>